from the Medical Republic, I'm Wendy John. As we record, the State Emergency Service has 13 current evacuation orders and warnings for people in northern New South Wales. This follows a month of devastation by floods and probably heralds it's not over yet. Throughout this disaster, medical practices in the region have pushed through to keep serving their communities. The Medical Republic journalists, Ruby Prosser-Scully and Holly Payne, have been covering this natural disaster and its impact on the people and medical practice in the region. Ruby actually lives in northern New South Wales and visited some of the affected towns immediately after the first round of floods. Holly's also been talking to GPs and medical practice managers in the region. Holly and Ruby join us today in the tea room to share their stories. Some are heart-wrenching, others are heartwarming, and we also have information on today's episode about what you can do to help out. Thanks, Holly and Ruby, for joining us. It's good to be here. Thanks, Wendy. Yeah, cheers, Wendy. Now, Ruby, you were in Lismore last week. You're living in the region. What did it look like? It's been actually quite hard to describe the extent of the devastation up here. I think that people across Australia have probably seen some pictures and Lismore in particular was one of the hardest hit kind of regions. It had 14.4 metre floods, which is remarkable. But then it hasn't just been limited to that city either. There've just been town after town after town that have been incredibly hard hit by the flooding and you'll go down streets and see just, just belongings, people's belongings piled higher than head height and it's just covered in mud. How did you feel when you walked into Lismore? So going into Lismore was pretty shocking from the very start of it. Um, As you're driving into the city, there's a lot of farmland outside of it and you can see, and this is the really crazy thing, you can see in the tree line, incredibly high. It's a little bit hard to understand what's happening at first and then you realise that there's this line up in the foliage where everything above it, many metres high, is green and it's green and it's unsullied and it looks like a normal tree should look. And then there's this very distinct line where everything under that is just brown. And mentally it just takes a second to catch on to what that is as you try to understand that that is the level that the flood border rose to and it just inundated everything, these wide open spaces of farmland. And then as you get into the town itself, buildings, trees and everything that's just been covered in water metres and metres high. So well over, well over head height. Yes, like several people standing on shoulders. So, I mean, the floodwaters reached 14.4 metres and in town, I mean, you can see that it's like, you know, six metres. You're straining up to look at it sometimes. And then as you, you know, you're driving into the town, there's a school and a church there and there's just everything that you can see piled up. So the soccer nets and kids' sport ground, chairs all piled up, covered in mud and dirt. Uh, everything from the church has been pulled out. There's just piles and piles, an enormous amount of rubbish. Well, what used to be belongings and, and furniture that is now just headed for a tip. And then as you get into town even more, you can just see the devastation everywhere. There's, I mean, in one field that there was just just a roof, just this enormous metres long and wide metal roof that was just sitting in the middle of a, a playing field. I don't know where it came from. I looked around at all the buildings nearby and I, I 
could not figure out where it had been pulled from and God knows how far it had floated um, to wind up just sitting in a field. I think it's not hyperbole to say it looks like a war zone and it's, it's pretty confronting. Ruby, you were in the region to support the coverage of the floods through the Medical Republic. Holly, you were working with Ruby on those stories. Holly, what is particularly challenging? What are doctors treating patients for at the moment? Yeah, I mean, in the immediate kind of aftermath of the floods, doctors were at evacuation centres kind of setting up these ad hoc clinics. The main thing GPs and other doctors I spoke to was saying was that people had just left without their medications. I mean, fair enough, it's probably the last thing you're thinking of. But um, because people had forgotten their medications, they were starting to experience like the side effects of rapidly going off a medication. So Dr. Nina Robertson, who I spoke to, who was at one of the evacuation centers in Lismore, was saying that she's never seen that amount of people having seizures in her life. And she was it was not something she expected. They were having to send people off to quite a few people off, she said, to the hospital for management. And it's things like either having forgotten medication or she said there were a few people who were on like methadone programs. And obviously, I think about five pharmacies were out of action due to the floods in that area. No one was getting any treatment anytime soon. So there was that. And people were leaving the house with no shoes on or the shoes that they were wearing were very wet. And there's not really much of a chance to dry them. So people had lots of cuts on their feet, abrasions, especially just kind of below the knee area. There's obviously a lot of worry about bacteria in the water. Apparently it loves it in there. And that infection risk is continued all throughout the cleanup. So that's also something that I think is on a lot of doctors' minds right now. The clinics that did stay open and weren't affected by floods, they ended up running low on, I think, tetanus vaccines were one thing and iodine and dressings just because there were so many people presenting all at once. The demand was so high for those, exactly. those medicines, yeah. And even, I mean, what might surprise some people to hear is that even a week after the flooding, even that long afterwards, there were still driveways that were covered in water and there was still mud in the street and obviously there was a long period with a lot of rain but this was after many days. Yeah I think uh, leptospirosis is one of the bacteria that kind of wreaked havoc in Brisbane after the 2011 floods so they were saying that's one particular infection to look out for and it can live in damp soil for something like three weeks to a month possibly Mm. longer. Yeah. Persistent isn't it? Sure is. Mm. Do you know what the state of medical supplies is currently? With Everything back open, I think, well, well, with roads back open, rather, I think a lot of places are still shut. Um, there's the kind of necessary medical supplies have kind of come in, but a lot of doctors have been left without a place to work, which uh, makes it difficult to administer said medical supplies. Mm-hmm. And some, some doctors are coming up with novel workarounds to, to keep serving the community. The doctor response, medical centre response has been incredible, even though many of them have been completely trashed themselves. Yeah, that's right, Wendy. I've heard of at least one doctor who got cut off from his practice in the flood, so he was doing telehealth from a colleague's rooms. A practice in Lismore, which went completely under Keene Street, I think they're setting up temporary space in one of the hospitals 
And it's amazing to think these people's homes have also likely been completely destroyed as well. There's a lot of people who are moving in with friends and family who are who have some space and maybe in one of the higher parts of the area that weren't immediately affected by the floods. And so you do have that added tension or distress or whatever it is that's associated with everyone bunking together as they try and get their life back on track. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure. And on top of that, some incredibly sad stories. You know, Holly, you you were speaking to some people who, as medical practitioners, heard things themselves that have affected them deeply. Yeah, Dr. Dr. Robertson from the Keene Street practice, she was at one of the evacuation centres um, kind of patching people up in the first kind of few hours as people were still being evacuated. And she was talking about what really kind of broke her that day was a man who had been standing with his dog in his arms, lifting the dog above the flood water for hours, and he'd been rescued. And um, unfortunately, when they got to the evacuation centre, the dog did die. It's one of those, yeah, really, really awful, awful moments that I think, yeah. There's so many stories like that as well. It's not just the personal belongings and obviously the sentimental things as well that you have, but people being unable to get their pets out in time, as sort of you said. And um, also there's a, a story of some elderly people who were, like the flooding was happening often in the middle of the night as well. And so someone who found just, you know, two older people basically trying to get away from their house in the middle of the night in sort of waist deep flood water. And like those are cases where those people have survived and that's traumatic and horrible as it is. But, you know, we've also seen dozens of people who have actually lost their lives on top of that. And that reverberates really into the community. So these demand for mental health, emotional support services is pretty high at the moment in that space. What are the concerns around that? Yeah, so I mean, that was Kate Nesbitt, the practice manager at Lismore's Premier House Medical Centre, was saying that they were sort of offline for the week uh, as they couldn't get in, didn't have internet and reception, and the power was off. But on their first day back, the biggest worry for their doctors was distress and mental health concerns. And that was sort of one of the, the big conditions or issues that she flagged as something that they were worried about in the coming days, weeks and months as the town rebuilds. And for the doctors, the primary health network had had some support made available to help them get through that. But we're already seeing such a strain on psychological services across Australia, especially in regional areas at the best of times. It really makes you wonder whether there is going to be enough available for people dealing with this in the acute aftermath. Yeah. Holly, I think you spoke to Alicia Hargraves from Rural Doctors Association, New South Wales. What was her take on services to rural areas following the flood? One of the things she said is that she'd heard specifically from doctors in Lismore that it was already difficult. The health system was already kind of in this state of chaos with heaps of doctor shortages and everything. And I think there's this big fear that now the flood has just made that so much worse and they were already strained and now it's this additional extra awful strain. Folks, taking a quick break to let you know how you can support the flood-affected region if that's on your mind right now. 
The Primary Health Network in the region is coordinating the clinical response for evacuation centres in northern New South Wales and linking doctors to relevant local authorities for locum work. You can register your availability via a form. We'll include a link in the show notes. We'll also include a link to the RACGP webpage that's jam-packed full of resources for disaster response and recovery. And they add the important reminder for doctors to take care of their own health and well-being. If you can't just get up and go to the Northern Rivers, you might still be able to provide support through telehealth. The MBS has removed the existing relationship requirement for patients living in flood affected areas so they can access telehealth services from any GP or other medical practitioner around the country. There's also resources on the RACGP website for medical practices who have been flood affected. It's going to take a long, long time for practices to get back up and running and for shops to open again. One of my favourite cafes in the area um, in Chindera it's called Cubby Bakehouse. It's right on the, the side of the Tweed River and it really went under. It's not clear. I, I spoke to someone who worked there who was saying that it might be months and months before they get back up again. You know, that's the sort of time frame that we're looking at for people to even get back to opening, let alone the cost that it takes them to do that. It sounds like the community effort has been incredible. What have you seen in places like Mullumbimby? Yeah, so that's, I guess, one of the big takeaways as well from this is that the community has really banded together. One of the things that just absolutely filled my heart up when going around is just how much people have come together to help out their community in the wake of this. And this is happening everywhere, but in places like Mullumbimby, for example, it was just incredible to see the community come together. There was a a centre that they'd sort of rebranded as the disaster centre. And at the front of it, you had volunteers who were helping put people in contact with services that they had and also um, that, that people were offering and also requesting specific services that the community needed. You had these whiteboards that had just a list of all the support and where you could go and phone numbers that you could call for things like food and drink or Wi-Fi or crisis support or if you needed cleaning of your home or you needed medical care or counselling or financial support and services. People had come together and just had one place that you could go to get everything that you need. And then at the same time, they also had, you know, not just resources, but a list of things that they still needed. Things like, do you have a three-ton van? Do you have a ute? Do you have a pressure hose? And so people could come there and be like, okay, well, what do my neighbours need? And what do I have? And is there anything that I can contribute? And, you know, even just just one sign is still really stuck with me, which is um, just a A4 handwritten sign that said, do you need counselling? I can offer counselling for free. I can offer telehealth as well if you've got the internet. Just give me a call. And it, it's just so lovely to see people offering their services for free and reaching out to their community at a time like this. The other thing that's really interesting is that this area is, like a lot of areas, changed quite a lot. And 
then probably no surprise, but you will hear people uh, who are sort of locals maybe occasionally whinge about people coming <laughs> in, <laughs> all these like, you know, new new transplants to the tree area. Cha- tree changes. <laughs> yeah, sea changes, tree changes. And, you know, there's one person who was had been talking about the way that their town seemed to have changed quite a lot and they didn't know a lot of people in their community. And then after this happened, the house had been flooded and just people that they'd never met before came over and started just helping out, helping knock out the place, get the belongings out. It just really felt like the community was there and and came together and people had an opportunity to meet the people that they live near. That's so important and such a a beautiful counterbalance to the doom and gloom. And it, it is a horrifying situation and it has been really hard to be in and report on I think as as Holly and I have both found in the last um, couple of weeks but also that in the midst of all of that there's such a shining ray of goodness and something that just really fills you up again with that beautiful feeling of connectedness to humans and that recognition again that ultimately most people are good and most people want to help the people around them. And that's just a beautiful thing to be reminded of in, in 2022. Absolutely. It's necessary to be reminded of in 2022. Holly, you've also heard some, some not so bad stories as well in your coverage. Yeah. I mean, to kind of counterbalance that really sad one about the dog, um, there was another doctor, Sue Volovsky out in Ballina who she was helping out an evacuation center as well. And there was this calf that she and like the children at the evacuation center were kind of watching and he was clearly hungry. He'd clearly lost his mom in the flood and it was just, it was too dangerous to try and kind of go over and get him. But then eventually the water kind of went down and he held on long enough for them to go. And I think someone fed him. Um, It's just, it's just not, it's very nice. The the calf lived. It's always. It's like, yeah. I don't know how. I love your statement. The calf lived. <laughs> These stories are important to share as much as the tragedy because it is integral to know that people are coming together, that there is hope, and that doesn't discount the gaping need for medical services, for mental health support, for all kinds of services to that area. But thank you so much for sharing both sides of the coin and thank you for covering this important event. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, thanks, Wendy. I'm Wendy John. Thanks for taking a break today and joining me in the tea room. If you like what you've heard, head on over to Spotify or iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts and you can listen to our other episodes and subscribe. Leave us a review while you're there. And if you have any news tips or just want to chat, you can email me at wendy at medicalrepublic.com.au. The Tea Room is a production from the journalists at the Medical Republic. Visit medicalrepublic.com.au to keep up to date with all the latest news and views in general practice. And while you're there, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter. We love to keep you informed. Thanks for tuning in.